Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Hello and welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast. I am really pleased to be here today with Dr. Nancy Bancroft. So Nancy is a clinical psychologist, and if you don't know already, you should be following her on Instagram at The Body and Mind. Um, but in case you're not already following her, I'll get Nancy to introduce herself. So hello, Nancy. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about who you are and who you help? Yes. So uh, I am actually currently in a trans- transition, but I work in the NHS. Um, and work in an adult community mental health service um, and have done in this team for about six years uh, in Herefordshire Uh, but I have a passion hence the Instagram account for mind-body connection and I think probably over the last few years I've also been unconsciously building up the confidence to do something exciting um, through my Instagram and through a few other things and I'm I'm making that shift now in the next couple of months so I've um, handed my notice in um, and I am building a business Rosie which I know you know a few things about <laughs> very um, exciting times and I, yeah. I have to say actually I really do recommend that people take a look at your Instagram because I think I got in touch with you quite a while ago because I saw one of your videos and it just had this real energy and enthusiasm to it, which I think is the secret to good content on social media. It's not about algorithm hacking. It's about that kind of authentic, I want to put this out in the world and I'm kind of excited to do that. Mm. And that's something I really feel from, from your content. So I'm, I'm really glad that you're doing more of it. Thank you. Yeah, that's definitely, if it was about the algorithm, but the algorithm business I probably wouldn't be doing or enjoying it so much but that is exactly the case I I do have a lot of fun exactly and it really comes through and I think often people have too much strategy and not enough fun with their social media Um, but it's not all about the fun is it so I know there's a real mission behind what you're doing on social media and so could you talk to me a little bit about what the body and mind is is all about and what what the project's aiming to do yes so um I just I mean I just feel from my training and from mostly what I do in work at the moment there is too much of an emphasis on uh, our heads and our thinking and um, perhaps not so much attention goes to kind of the fact that our mental health is influenced by things going on below our necks too. Um, Not just physical health and physical fitness, but the things we eat, the way we move, um, and also how kind of our bodies respond to to stress and trauma. Um, And obviously I've been quite influenced over the last 10 years by a kind of rising energy around somatic psychologies and people people reading um the body keeps the score and some like some really massively famous texts out there so I've I've definitely been influenced by that and by my EMDR practice but also very much from uh like by my personal experience of being someone who feels stress quite a lot um and knowing that um my body has some quite incredible ways of showing me 
that I'm kind of on the tilt of tipping over sometimes before my head can make good sense of it or really understands and certainly that was the case around the time that I had my first child um Jim who's um nine now and so it was around that point at that we you know it's it's not an unfamiliar story but we had perhaps six months a, a year of some quite stressful periods with some tummy pains and some not being able to sleep and I think it was at that point I I found lots of information about polyvagal theory and started to understand how his experience really early might have been um, might have influenced the way that his nervous system was in the world and then impacted kind of um, how content he was or how uncontent he was um, and then how much that influenced me and how my body said said that to me in ways that weren't so obvious initially so I you know there are like some physical health pains and problems that come up that I now know are my body telling me enough you need to stop before that time I wasn't very good at doing that and so actually linked with that I since that time I've had some personal therapy myself with an emphasis on linking my mind and body more intricately and uh, yeah I've learned tons about how much of my body I was ignoring um, and how much value and sense and wisdom there is in the communication that happens if you listen. Um, and I think maybe in our culture, we just are not that great at listening or we listen to our heads and we listen to our thoughts and we try and make sense and um, we try and override. And even in our therapy, we do lots of cognitive things and we don't give a huge amount of respect to like some really good stuff that's down there. If if we give it an opportunity to speak and sometimes our bodies have to shout don't they to say whoa you're doing you know you're too busy you haven't slept you can't handle this it's too much um so yeah I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that idea too absolutely that passion really comes across and as you're talking I'm thinking I've got to get that reference from her <laughs> the book that you yeah. when your son was struggling yeah. um, and mm. And, and I think, you know, we're probably a lot of us curious about exploring these things, but it wasn't mm. part of my training. It no. really wasn't. I can't think of anything we did um, that related, you know, to the body in therapy. No. I really can't think of anything. Um, no. So this is for a lot of us, a, a journey of discovery. As you said, there's energy around it now and we're, mm -hmm. we're reading books and articles about it now, but maybe mm -hmm. feeling a little bit lost about where mm. to go so if you don't mind sharing some references with us I'd love to put those in the show notes mm. yeah I mean uh, yeah I'm a book collector I think maybe a bit like you yeah <laughs> so I do have a really cool library that I often just peruse and I'm like oh yeah so good not all of them I've read but I definitely have always read the first chapter uh, <laughs> with you on um, that yeah uh, and one recently that springs to mind is The Wisdom of Your Body by Hilary McBride. She, uh, she's um, an American psychologist who has uh, kind of brings together lots of the um, like the key texts that you like more of the textbook texts that you would read, like The Body Keeps the Score and um, The Wisdom of Your Body by um, Babette Rothschild. I think that's seen as like quite a quite a foundational text for understanding the body in therapy but Hillary writes it in a really accessible way it's got lovely exercises that you can try just in the moment to explore the connection between your mind and your body and um, also also similar to me I guess she brings in some of her 
personal experiences of how she came to this place through a car accident actually um, and her process of connecting more to herself which is just really accessible isn't it you know when you when you hear how someone else does it it makes it possible because I think maybe one of the problems with I don't know the somatic world that I see at least out there is sometimes it can feel a bit inaccessible you know like even the idea of like feeling into your emotions like how how do you actually do that without it having been part of what you've learned to do as a child which for most of us it wasn't you know what does that actually mean um so that's a really that's a really practical text that I'd recommend for everybody oh thank you that's really mm. helpful I'm, I'm definitely mm. going to go and order that straight away after mm. this conversation yeah <laughs> it can add to my library of books I'm desperate to read properly yeah um but so how did you take that journey of personal discovery and decide to move that forward into your professional work um okay so there was a point at which I think so interweave with this process I've had a second baby and um both of them have been well no yeah so I've I've spent a long time and still do with both of them because there was the five-year gap um sitting with going to sleep for an hour in the evening and for a while that time felt like wasted time sometimes and so I filled it with podcasts and audiobooks and you know like I, I found a way to kind of make it feel like I was doing the thing that I needed for them but also using the time well for me too um and so for a while it was just reading and listening and exploring and then I bit the bullet and took some private therapy because I could see so much value in me being like being with someone to explore some of the things that were happening for me um and at the same or a similar time to that I was looking for practical ways to connect with my body I ran and so that was one real quick way for me to just, you know, I, I knew there was some kind of process going on when I was running that meant when I went outside after a few, like, you know, after being wild for five minutes, I felt different. I felt like good things happened for me. And I understand that to be my way of connecting with my physicalness. Um, but the second really important part of that process was I found um, something called menstrual cycle awareness, which is essentially like, you know, and I guess this is a different journey for anybody, but my version, my one of my roads into getting to know my body better was understanding my cycle and how it powered me at points and how also my mood and my energy were massively affected in the um, other direction at points. I get, I knew that all my life, but I think the, the menstrual cycle awareness I had before told me that there was a period of uh, time leading up to my lead where I would be moody and tired and not want to be in the world um, but I did I was also aware that as well as that there was a time in my cycle where I felt the opposite so I got that from sometimes have like I'd sometimes notice there was a day where I was like I'd listen to a song and I just wouldn't be able to believe how much I love it or I'd listen to a podcast and I'd be like I've got to send that to someone or you know when you just you just get that Oh, and as I started to track my cycle and keep a really easy, brief record of my moods, I noticed that was often around ovulation time. And so over the years of doing that time and time again, I have learned that there, that my, my clever body 
and yours too, has a natural rhythm. And it hasn't necessarily been encouraged to be free in that rhythm because we all live kind of, I think, a bit more according to a, a, a man's hormone pattern, basically, which is on a 24 hour cycle. But women's hormones ebb and flow through a whole month. And so your body is trying to guide you, but there is like there is a time in the month for rest and going inwards and being quiet and self-exploration and sleep and all those things. And then there's a time when you're really up for sharing and talking and socializing and learning and swapping. And if you know that in yourself, you can you can really use it to um, kind of prevent burnout and prevent stress. And this was another really exciting opportunity that I saw coming out of the NHS that um, that there was potential for me to build a business that could be informed by those energies. And um, I did a short course, which I would really recommend, which was basically learning learning to do that. Uh, it was menstrual cycle awareness for business. And, um, and so I have some kind of really kind of exciting foundations that mean that I might do a few things slightly differently when I start this process to allow me to respect my natural rhythms and then um, hopefully get the best for my project because I'm I'm leaning into what my body needs rather than fighting against it I love that and it and it has to be true doesn't it I mean so we have so much ill health in mm. our society mm. from people saying I'm exhausted I'm burnt out mm. I've got no more creative energy I just can't keep going mm. we must be doing something wrong mm. on, a, on a very large scale and I think that there's been resistance to exploring that we've just been trying to make the same model work with a few mindfulness sessions or yoga sessions in the yeah. middle of the day yeah. actually maybe we need to fundamentally rethink that model and make it yeah. okay to have you know maybe shorter days on sometimes and yeah. longer days when you're able to lean into that yeah um, and also the type of thing you're doing just when you were talking then I was thinking yes I have days where you can't get a social media post out of me oh I can't there's nothing there it's like pulling teeth and yeah. I see the internet stuffed with content that people have yeah. made on days like that and yeah. I can tell I can feel yeah it. you can feel it yeah whereas yeah. your content it was like humming with energy and and I was drawn to it and I wanted to engage with it because you can feel that when somebody's mm. made it in that kind of state yeah. um and I think when I look at my posts I could probably track them alongside my cycle the ones that have done really well are the ones I've made on days where I've been like oh my god I just have to talk about this thing mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and I'm really excited about it yeah it's yeah yeah it could unlock so much for sure I have made myself a rule that like I will never post or make a post or work for a post when I'm not feeling it and it's pretty simple but it's really effective and you know that is very much cycle led too like you'll if you track my posts you'll see there's a there's a week or 10 days where I just go completely off uh you know offline and then suddenly you start to see me like boop, 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 getting braver and braver <laughs> day 14 I'm like doing a dance and then slowly <laughs> I slowly I disappear again and that like that just feels healthy it just feels like honoring my body we shift and change don't we and like we promote it with clients all the time some days you feel energetic and confident and sometimes you don't and like that's fine it's really healthy to be able to respect it mm. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's really powerful. I mean, have how have you been able to bring this kind of knowledge into the room with clients? Have you had any space to do that in your NHS role? No, to be quite honest, that so the menstrual cycle stuff has felt like a personal development process for me at the moment. And actually, there's been something to this point that's felt quite quite nice it, it kind of feels like this is for me right now it's definitely having a massive impact impact on my plans and my hopes and at the moment I don't feel like I'm necessarily ready or even um yeah like ready or even wanting to share it out that much apart from I think this probably links us really nicely into a conversation about also, there's a part of me that knows this kind of isn't the standard work that I would be encouraged to share in my NHS practice. And I am conscious in that role that I um, that I share the kind of the kind of things that people would expect to hear from me, I guess, that I'm sharing the evidence base and that I'm offering kind of the advice and practice that um, I could justify with the research um, and whilst I know from all the knowledge I have about nervous system regulation that actually that could look like anything you know it literally we've all got a different nervous system haven't we so what regulates you is going to be so different than than what regulates me um, I haven't necessarily made it part of my practice but I am excited to in the future and there's and there's one other thing that's come from a personal development perspective that's influenced me massively. And I know you know a little bit about that because um, I've seen you spoke to Rebecca Tennyson um, about the Enneagram. Yeah. And that was something that I discovered through my personal therapy that has hugely influenced my kind of confidence to be OK with who I am and just accept my strategies because I'm a human. Um, and that too is something that I don't necessarily use in my therapy practice at the moment, but has informed my personal development reams and reams. Um, yeah, I think I think this might change in um, building a business of my own because I think just naturally stepping out of the NHS means I think my decision to do that too is influenced by my kind of need to be able to express my creativity a bit more than I have previously. Um, and I think those things will naturally come out when I feel a bit freer to do that. I mean, these are all really powerful reasons for wanting to step outside of the NHS model and offer something that at the moment would be tricky. Mm. But how, how does it feel to you um, to make that decision? Because I often find that sometimes the evidence-based practice, and I'm doing quote marks that nobody can see, yeah. <laughs> obviously, um, but that can sometimes act as a bit of a security blanket for us. Yeah. Um, and it can be quite difficult sometimes to, to say to a client, actually, I think we should step outside that yeah. um, and maybe try this thing, which it doesn't have that gold standard research behind it, but these are the reasons that it doesn't mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. perhaps it can't because it's not suitable yeah. for an RCT. Yeah. Um, I, having those conversations can feel quite difficult. So how is it feeling to you, the idea of maybe stepping away from the comfort blanket? Yeah, I mean, not 
smooth because I've lived in that comfort blanket and like I, I've trained in it and it's all I've known and like comfort blankets are always going to be exactly what they say on the tin aren't they like that it feels good in some ways but you know um someone else you've spoken to recently um Bridger and the team at Beyond Healing developing the SIP model that I um which that is another wild enthusiasm of mine currently they um they have taught me a lot about the evidence base and the and and to be fair I stud, I did I studied my um declin at Liverpool and I do my education around kind of questioning the evidence base started I I, I felt I had a, a good foundation to kind of critiquing the evidence base back then so it's it's run through me um but yeah Bridger has pointed me to this uh, so the APA um years ago now released this paper where they spoke about kind of therapists needing to be aware that that like good evidence-based practice is made up of three things one it's the available research two it's um therapist or professional experience and three it's like person choice mm. personal you know preference and culture and all the things that would influence what someone's after and since so um, I think Bridger made a podcast about this and I'm sure so there, there was a paper that he spoke about that basically spoke about um, wrote about all the reasons that we are kind of making a mistake when we talk about the evidence base, meaning just what's got an RCT or a systematic review to kind of to support its use. Actually, evidence based practice is way wider than that. And when you think about it from those three perspectives, essentially we're coming back to our formulation aren't we like if we have uh, an understanding with someone about why something might be happening then there is our evidence you know and and our skills of formulating and our use of models and theories they are all from the evidence base and so actually i think it's appropriate that we should be feeling comfortable to make decisions that feel right and 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 what are we to, we're, we're taught anyway, aren't we, to um, use an intervention that's based on a formulation, use it as a hypothesis, and if it doesn't go the way that you intend, that's that's new information and that's really helpful as well. Um, so I think I'm I'm more excited than I perhaps would have been five years ago. Um, but there is no doubt that we work in a system that really likes categories and boxes, doesn't it? And it, we fall into that trap too. Uh, even, you know, even when we talk about attachment, we're talking about categories that don't exist really. We're, we, we're just, it's, uh, Western science does that, doesn't it? It just like, and, and maybe it's necessary to some extent. I, I guess we have to have a language for talking about complex processes. But we have to also remember that it does it's just a model. These theories and this this evidence is just a model, a way of talking about some things that can't be captured in that way. It would be wonderful if that's how it was explained to people, wouldn't it? Mm. I was having a conversation um with a couple of my family members about attachment recently. Mm. And and I said something to that effect, and they were like, No, mm. you're either secure or not yeah and I was like oh okay that's really not how I understand it but mm. I can see why you would based mm. on what's out there and available mm. um 
and and part of your standard education about these things because it you know it is being spoken about now much more than it mm. used to be but it mm. is spoken about in this kind of medicalized way where mm. things are or they are not mm-hmm. um, which is mm-hmm. yeah pretty unhelpful I think a lot of the time yeah. yeah so what do you think I mean and this is putting you on the spot slightly but a what do you think we can do about it as a professional group but b also what are your hopes for how body and mind might be you know challenging some of that taking some of these ideas forward mm. um, I think I, so this is a bit of a personal fear that I've I've always been aware that like part of me has a foot in the world of science and likes that likes the comfort of that but also part of me is a bit likes to be a bit wacky and creative and different and I think probably previous to feeling a bit more established in my life I would have like this science felt like comfort and safety for me and maybe as I get a bit older I've had children I have some experience I've learned a bit more now I am just seeing the value in and importance in leaning into the creative and the art side of therapy I've just read another really fantastic book about Uh, called the art and science of EMDR and basically it's written with the viewpoint that like yes EMDR is based on uh, like a a manualized protocol but the content the change process within EMDR doesn't have to be it doesn't have to feel manualized like we we know the magic probably is happening between us and the client and and in fact the magic that happens in EMDR is probably happening all the time, even when we're not using that uh, protocol, sometimes even when we don't know that protocol. So just being able to play with the edges a little bit and, and, and yeah, and I think you're right, talk with clients about the value of doing that and share it on social, you know, do what we're doing, perhaps take the world of clinical psychology outside of the library and outside of journal papers and, um, and, and, and books and and make podcasts like you do and make silly reels like I do and make this information accessible. Um, so, so another of these kind of categorized like, like accepted categories that I'm really interested in at the moment is the idea that we give therapy for an hour a week uh, on a weekly basis because that's that's what we do, isn't it? And actually, I love the research coming out at the moment telling us that there's masses of value sometimes in seeing someone for extended sessions and for um, what gets called intensive therapy, especially in the EMDR world, but not necessarily where you might you might see someone for a day of therapy every two months. And um, and I started to look into that option when I was having my therapy, because finding an hour a week felt really stressful with young children and late nights and work and if that model had been available to me here I I would have gone for it you know I want to do this work I wanted to devote this time to myself but having a day a month is much easier than having an hour on a Tuesday evening when I know I need to make spaghetti bolognese when I get home um so one of the things that I'm really excited about doing and developing that I wouldn't have been able to do in the NHS at the moment is offering extended intensive sessions um maybe even in the future overnight opportunities and retreats um but very much from a kind of 
clinical therapy perspective. Um, and you know, in all my searching, I haven't been able to find any scientific evidence that tells me therapy is best delivered in 50 minute sessions per week. You know, no, I think I've that's not found more... anything about that no. either. Mm. It's just what we do. It's what we do, isn't it? So I like the fact that now I've got this energy in me, especially at certain points in my cycle, <laughs> where I can be like, why, why are we doing that? How can we do this differently? It doesn't have to be like that. Let's just try something different and see how it goes. Yeah, I really like that idea. And I, mm. I think um, the last thing that I read about intensive trauma therapy was a few years ago about um, week-long uh, sessions mm -hmm. for veterans in particular and it seemed really sensible to me mm. nothing about that seemed odd and yet the, the people that I was with at the time were really concerned about it like where will the boundaries be drawn and there's so much anxiety there mm. about changing that 50 minute once a week model that I think that's probably blocked us from mm. actually you know testing this you know what works best for people mm. but there's also something in there about what you said about the wisdom of the client mm -hmm. and if they want something we need to attend to that mm -hmm. because I, I think sometimes we get stuck in this expert position of I'm going to tell you what you want mm -hmm. um, and we sort of disregard people asking for something different as mm. oh you know they've got boundary issues or mm -hmm. um, you know pathologizing that actually mm -hmm. when um, when really people might have very good reasons for, for mm. wanting to mix up the way that therapy is delivered mm. that's an absolutely fascinating avenue and I can imagine you doing so much good um creating a service which offers that flexibility to people thank you so much for talking us through kind of where you're coming from with the body and mind and your vision for um getting more of the body into the therapy room. One thing that I'm always wondering is how do we incorporate this into uh, a therapy setting? You know, can you talk us through how that might look in reality? Yes. Um, so I might tell you a bit of a story, if that's okay, to, um, that maybe illustrates the way that the process has happened or become more easy for me over the past year and it is directly related to uh, learning about somatic integration and processing which is a, a formulation model that um that I've been training and part part of the part of what SIP teaches is or reminds us essentially is that we are like the course talks about us um the human as an organism and kind of back to this idea that essentially we're kind of animals at our base and that we develop through relationship and through experience and that that manifests in who we become. And I remember when I was when I was listening to podcasts about SIP, the trainers were describing a comparison between being a therapist and having some information about somebody's problem presented to you in a referral, having lots and lots of story or information about their difficulties and their history uh, compared with being in a room with someone for 10 minutes and talking about something unrelated perhaps, but for example, their job, or even observing that person in a coffee shop and seeing how they are in the world, kind of how they move, their eye contact, you know, like literally the way that their body is. And I remember the trainer saying, given the choice of two as a therapist, what gives you more information? And at that time, 
immediately based on my training so far I went to I want to know the trauma history I want to know what this person's been through it doesn't make sense for me not to go for that option but all three trainers on this particular podcast said no way like for now not that the story isn't important but I can take so much more from observing someone and feeling their presence in the room and I can honestly say now that I have understood a little bit more about the idea um, of how our experiences that are absolutely really important contribute to the way our nervous system develops in the world which then can be seen literally in the way we walk and the way we talk and the way we smile or don't smile and look or don't look and it's that information that is kind of um, like the living representation of all the experiences that we've been through and so a really simple way and maybe a long answer to the question but is is to learn in the therapy room to observe movements or feelings or to notice things about someone's someone's body and simply bring attention to that and so to allow yourself to to ask the question like when we when we started speaking about this issue recently, I saw your chest went red and the, and you shuffled in your chair a bit and not in an accusing like what was that sort of way, but just in a curious like I'm so interested. You've moved your position and you kind of look less comfortable than you did a couple of minutes ago. Do you understand what that could be about? And sometimes accepting that to the client in the room with you, that might be an entirely impossible question to answer alone. but then to be curious and to explore what could that mean um it's just an entirely different approach to understanding how something might be kind of visible through your body and and I suppose I would add then too to use your own body to do the same so um to notice when something in the therapy room just feels different or difficult or heavy or you have an experience of sadness or joy and and to name that with somebody and to ask does it make sense why I might be feeling like that right now is this connected with your experience or um might it be something separate and to just be really you like just to have that curious stance so it's almost like you're retraining both us and the person that we're working with to pay attention to that link between the the body and our experience of emotion and mm -hmm. and distress sometimes mm. because actually often we've learned to sever that link haven't we it, yeah. it's just really putting me in mind of um in my early career when I worked in uh, prisons and one of the psychologists said to me if you get a feeling in your body that something is not right, mm -hmm. get out of that situation right now. Mm -hmm. We were talking about when riots kick off in, in mm -hmm. prisons and you often have no idea it's it's coming. Mm -hmm. She's like, everybody says there was no warning, but most people, when you talk to them afterwards, when you're sort of debriefing, say mm. they felt something at mm. that point leave mm. she was 100 right and nobody mm. could say oh I heard something or it, it was nothing conscious it was in the body somewhere mm. but so often sadly you hear of uh, victims of crime that have ignored that 
that they mm. felt that there was something wrong and they ignored it. Mm. Um, and on a like, you know, more humorous level, we often ignore um, things like you can feel the rain is coming, but your phone says there's no rain today. So you still go out without your raincoat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think we've become really detached, haven't we, from listening to that body bodily system. Yes, yes, 100%, I think we have. And I'm sure like this, you know, this might seem quite, far disconnected but I grew I grew up on a farm and animals you know animals were around me all the time and I'm sure it's the same for people who grew up with lots of pets like I just think being more in touch with the fact that like there is more than language that we have to communicate between us and others um is so important and not to forget that you know the way that you feel safe around animals is not relying on them telling you how many times they've hurt someone in the past it's from you reading their body and understanding how yours feels in relation um and yes i think probably our culture to some extent has just taught that out of us and I, I guess that loops us right back around then to the way that I try to look after myself by being more in touch with natural rhythms in my body, because that, too, is not necessarily something that we have the privilege of doing in a society where we work nine till five, Monday to Friday. And no matter how tired we feel, we're expected to show up. And um, I, yeah, I understand that often that that is for a reasonably good reason but it takes us really far away from respecting and reading our natural um our gut responses our needs and and paying attention to and ideally attending to what our body says it wants that's so helpful i think talking to you today has really brought it to life for me um, and I'd really encourage people, if they're interested, to follow up on some of the uh, references that you've mentioned today. Uh, can you just say again for us where you'd like people to go and explore if they're interested in this type of work? Yes. Well, of course, this is just my version of it or my journey to it, but I could not recommend more the uh, somatic integration and processing training that I have done with Beyond Healing Centre. I found them via the Notice That podcast. Um, they're, um, and I guess that's famous or, or more, um, more known for its EMDR focus, but um, the podcast is just so full of useful information outside of the EMDR world too that I would massively recommend that. Um, and then if it's okay to, you know, if anyone has been more interested in the menstrual cycle awareness aspect of the discussion, then I read my, my first introduction to that world was a book um, called Wild Power. And it's written by some women who have uh, built an organization called the Red School. There, you'll, you know, you'll find them online and on social media. And um, in particular, um, Sophie Jane Hardy, uh, hosts a fantastic podcast for them called the menstruality podcast which is really worth a listen um and uh, she runs their cyclical business courses as well which i would highly recommend that sounds absolutely fascinating that's definitely somewhere that i'm going to have a look <laughs> really yeah. really interesting stuff um also just to mention to people that we've got a podcast episode um, on this podcast with Mel Lee and Bridger Falkenstein, um, where we're talking a lot about SIP and the Beyond Healing Centre. So do go and have a listen to that one if you haven't done already. Yeah. So I guess just to finish up then, what is the plan for, 
for Body in Mind. What are you going to be doing next and where can people follow that journey? Yeah, um, so I have a website and uh, in the next couple of weeks or very soon, it will have a lot more information about my offers over the next year. Um, but I would say if you're interested to be in touch, then please do just join my newsletter and that will be the place that I share any new information about what I'm doing. Um, and um, that's www.thebodyinmind.co.uk and also on Instagram. I'm, you know, that, that's where I'm updating um, things kind of on a weekly basis. Um, and I've just taken a massive dare for myself into the world of <laughs> speaking more about what I'm doing by planning some Instagram lives, which I'm really excited about with some people who share similar passions. So watch out for those over the next few weeks. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's you know, email me if this is a passion of yours, I'd love to hear from you. Um, I'm sending emails out everywhere I can to offer teaching and training in this area. And if people are interested in me coming and doing a bit of that for them, then I'd be really welcome. Um, I'd really welcome contact about that too. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I'll make sure that all of those links that we've talked about are in the show notes, because I can imagine there's lots of people who, like me, are going to want to follow up on lots of the stuff that you've mentioned today. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rosie. Thanks for having me. Are you just starting out in private practice? Feeling overwhelmed by all the stuff there is to do by any chance? Paralysed by perfectionism or procrastination? Never fear, Psychology Business School has got your back and the good news is there's actually not that much you need to do to run your practice safely and effectively. Download our free checklist today to find out exactly what really matters. Tick off every box and you can see your first clients with confidence that you've done everything important. Get your free copy at psychologybusinessschool.com forward slash checklist. Thank you so much for listening to the Business of Psychology podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to subscribe, rate and review the show. It helps more mental health professionals just like you to find us. And it also means a lot to me personally when I read the reviews. Thank you in advance and we'll see you next week for another episode of Practical Strategy and Inspiration to move your independent practice forwards. Mm-hmm.